This is my own private domicile and I will not be harassed! Bitch! Gangsters, what's up guys? What's the grant to a motherfucker like me? Can you please remind me? Get the world by the tail! Fat broads and horse-faced lesbians. Cute as shit. Oh, 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 skip, skip, skip. If you don't chew big red, then f you. That's so horny. Could you imagine if I hit the old water pipe with that thing? Oh. Great cash, homie. Three, two, one, let's fuck! Everybody's got to hear the shit on W Balls, W Balls, W Balls. Hello, everybody. Hello, hello, hello. Good morning, good afternoon, good whatever time of day it is. Can you dig it? I can. I am your host, Sam LaCrosse, and thank you for tuning in to another episode of the Don't Listen to This Podcast. It is. I said good morning. I usually say good morning when I come out of these things because it is a good morning when you wake up and it's a Sunday and you see another episode of this podcast, obviously. But I actually am recording this in the morning. It is the day before. It is the Saturday before this is going to come out. And I am in... My bedroom, about to go box, about to go hopefully not get hit in the face, and it's been a really, really fucking long week for me. I had to really push this out because I had to do so much else during the week. It's, I don't know why it's been as busy as it's been, so very, very bizarre. I usually kind of get this done during the week. I'm usually pretty good about it, but here we are. So, <clears throat> excuse me, and if you are not aware, if you have been keeping up, it is crazy. So, two days after my book comes out is the week outdate from my book, Value Economic Study of Identity, Tuesday, June 28th, 2022. So nine days after this comes out, my book's going to come out on all platforms, Amazon, Barnes & Noble, hardcover, paperback, not audiobook yet, but working on the audiobook, ebook, and there are going to be some deals. Oh, there are going to be deals. That's why I am hesitant to post the link out right now because we have so much good shit waiting for you guys in terms of how to get the book, when to get the book, why to get the book, how much it's going to cost to buy the book. The link is not yet available, so we are not going to tell you guys the link yet. I want everyone to have the best opportunity to get the book, Value Economics, Study of Identity, by yours truly, Sam LaCrosse, out Tuesday, June 28th, 2022. I want you guys to get the best deal, and I want you guys to be prepped for it in the best way, which brings us to today's post. So, leading up to the big announcement of the book and everything, I kind of wanted to rev your, your value engines up with a lot of just things to make you think about those type of topics. And today's post is about those type of things, I would say. It's about beliefs. It's about belief systems. It's about what to believe, how to believe. Not telling you guys and enforcing a value system uh, upon you, because as we'll get to in this post later, that's not what this post is about at all. But just kind of getting you guys thinking about what values are, kind of how everything is going to be. I, this is a relatively new concept. It was coined in 2019, and the first time, as you'll find out later. So it's a relatively new concept. I don't even know if I got it all right when I was doing this, but it's a very, very interesting one. And I think it is very, very prevalent to the time in which we're living in now, especially for us younger people who are just kind of getting our starts in the world. So I think this is a very cool topic. It's a very important topic. I think when I was first interested in it, I didn't really understand it like a lot of people, but it over time, 
you see where this kind of comes up, where it comes into a lot of different arenas and areas and stuff like that. And I think it's going to become even more of an important topic going forward in our culture. So without further ado, here we go. So if you can see my Instagram poster, if you went on the don'treadthisblog.com to view the article, you know what the header is. And oh yes, we're going there. On July 19th, 2021, CNN announced to the world that they were rolling out CNN Plus, a 24-hour streaming service to complement their 24-hour cable television programming. The formatting of the service was simple. There would be 12 hours of live programming per day, which would be complemented by a corresponding 12 hours of original content strictly for CNN Plus subscribers. Additionally, there was a goal of creating a, quote, interactive community so that subscribers could interact with their favorite personalities. The cost per month was $5.99, which would automatically cut in half for the first month to $2.99 to incentivize customers to sign up. CNN and their parent company, Warner Bros. Discovery, pulled out all the stops to make CNN Plus a roaring success. They poached talent from other major cable networks. They rolled out the red carpet, quite literally, to bank A-list stars for the shows. Their biggest draws on their major programs agreed to put a lot of extra effort in to provide new content. They hired over 450 new employees. Overall, Axios reported that CNN laid out a whopping $300 million to inject jet fuel in the most ambitious narrative in the history of the most well-recognized cable news service in world history. However, the road to launch wasn't always the smoothest. Jeff Zucker, the longtime head man at CNN, resigned in February of 2022 after it was revealed that he had a, quote, inappropriate relationship with a longtime mentee of his and a current CNN executive, Allison Gallist. However, most could see through this. There have been many TV heads that have done much worse things than two consenting adults fucking each other. They apparently didn't close to HR, so they were promptly disclosed from the company less than two months before the launch of CNN+. The waters continued to be choppy. David Zaslav, the, CNN, the CEO of Discovery, told reporters to much shock that he had yet to receive a business plan for anything involving CNN Plus after he bought the company. Chris Light, the former head of Stephen Colbert's show and the man brought in to replace Zucker, apparently didn't know anything either. They only had the prior investment and the forward projections. And according to those projections, CNN wanted to have 2 million paying subscribers after the first year and 15 to 18 million after four years. CNN Plus was launched to much fanfare on March 29, 2022. It was lauded as a step into the future, the dinosaur of the industry sidestepping the meteor and throwing down a slam dunk for good measure. The initial subscriber setup upon launch was a respectable 100,000 people. Every anchor, every major outlet was very bullish on the future of the company. But, as the great poet Robert Frost once said, nothing gold can stay. The downward spiral began on April 12th, two weeks after launch. That day, CNN, CNBC published a report that stated that CNN Plus was averaging a mere 10,000 subscribers logging into the service daily. My mouth dropped to the floor, as did many people. Even if people didn't like CNN, it couldn't be this bad, could it? 10,000 people a day? It couldn't be possible. Then the reviews began to came in. After the market was showing signs of rejection... The critics that were sent to review CNN Plus spared no expense at their disdain either. Vulture explained, correctly, that they had no idea what CNN Plus was supposed to be. People could watch CNN and most of the same people for free, so why would they pay for it? Newsday questioned who in the world had the time to watch CNN Plus. National Review, in a particularly harsh critique, called CNN a, quote, 
dumping ground for content that wasn't good enough to run on CNN, end quote. After that two-week period, the writing was on the wall. Subscriber numbers after the initial launch only climbed to 50,000, making a measly 15% of their projection subscriber numbers. Being off by 85% on anything is bad enough, but being off by 85% is absolutely atrocious when there are $300 million and nearly 500 employees at your mercy. The beating continued on social media, where most people drowned the struggling product in brutal review after brutal review. On April 21st of this year, eight days after that fateful CNBC report, CNN announced that they had had enough. CNN Plus would shut down on April 30th, only, and unbelievably, one month after they launched. Hundreds of people lost their jobs. $300 million, and more in other areas, could have been better used wiping Chris Cuomo's ass. Even with the best efforts of framing it otherwise, CNN Plus remains, to this date, one of the greatest, if not the greatest, failure and mistake of the streaming era. The fallout is still being felt, and most likely will continue to be felt for a very long time. Memes aside, the failure of CNN Plus is a very curious thing indeed. The streaming industry, although it has taken a hit recently with companies such as Netflix, is a very strong and very profitable industry in any normal economic system, and I understand that it's far from normal in our economy right now, but that's beside the point. Insofar as streaming news, that model has been proven as well. Or streaming news, I should say, that model has been proven as well. Fox Nation, the subscription pushed out, the subscription service pushed out by Fox News, is, at least on paper, a raging success. So we can say for certain that the failure of CNN Plus is not because there isn't a demand for cable news. Even though that demand is diminished, that demand still exists. Fox Nation is doing well, or at least well enough to not get kicked off their business plan for the future. The reason that CNN Plus failed, and the reason that a lot of the streaming companies are getting kicked in the teeth right now, and why so many smaller ones seem to be popping up, is simple. If you distill it enough, it's the reason why every company fails. The reason that CNN Plus failed so dramatically is this. The content sucked. Now, before you come at me for being a hater and or Trumpist fascist, please let me explain. I'm not saying that CNN Plus failed because the left-leaning content they push out in the world sucked. I know a lot of left-wing talking points and people who follow them who are very, very smart and make good content regarding most of it. They have articulate arguments, cogent theses, and rational steps to accomplish their goals. This is not the main problem with CNN, although the argument can and is definitely made for the latter as well. The main problem with CNN Plus was that the only reason that CNN Plus was created in the first place was its original content. CNN has had some good documentaries and shows in the past, Anthony Bourdain, Parts Unknown, easily being their biggest hit. But the content on CNN Plus would have made Anthony Bourdain throw up at least five different cream sauces. Not only did CNN expand on the already mostly horrible content it produces, it doubled down on that same content. They didn't just try something out of to create something out of nothing. They tried to create something out of garbage. Call me crazy, but who in their right mind would have watched a show called Jake Tapper's Book Club? Do most people even know who Jake Tapper is? Brian Stelter's job is to host a, nose where, a show where he talks about Fox News. Most of CNN viewers hate Fox News. So why on earth would they sign up to watch that weekly show every single day? Chris Wallace, the quote, steal they took from the aforementioned Devil Channel, is a 74-year-old bag of dust whose most famous claim to fame is being the son of legendary broadcaster Mike Wallace. 
They somehow were able to greenlight a documentary about Jesse Smollett, a con artist who was proven guilty in a court of law for misappropriating police resources and lying to the public about committing a hate crime. The answer to all of these is that no one watched it. Well, except for those 10,000 people that logged in every day, and God bless them for it. But that is the answer. No one wanted to watch that drivel. No one wanted to condemn themselves by watching that so many times a day. That was the mild version of what was on CNN+, and we'll get to more later. But it was already tremendously unpopular. No one would give it the time of day, much less so $5.99 a month for a year. The real reason we must ask ourselves, the real question we must ask ourselves here, the real question that will get to the heart of this and many other similar topics, is this. Why do they never learn? Why do companies like CNN and people who constantly dig themselves into deeper holes, particularly the powerful and our expert ruling classes, continue to beat us over the head with things that we know we do not they know we will not that we do not want? Excuse me, geez. Why do they continue to think that these things will work? If the definition of insanity truly is doing the same thing over and over and expecting different results, then quite literally all of these people should be institutionalized, especially Brian Stelter. The answer to this question, in my opinion, is a little-known concept called luxury beliefs. We'll dig into much more of this, its origins and its toxicity later, but let's unearth it a little bit to see how it ties into the downfall of CNN Plus and, as you'll see, many other things. Luxury beliefs are beliefs that are held by a group to convey social status over another group. They are ideas that many people cannot afford, cannot afford to have. This, therefore, makes them inherently valuable to that other group. They're a luxury, something that someone can possess because they are already in a position of power and privilege within society. Think of it as a modern-day form of intellectual classism. These people hold these things dearly to flex their clout and their influence. Much like the old ladies with pearl necklaces and the diamond-clad elites that adorn castles, luxury beliefs are the newest and most dangerous status symbol that you can possess in our modern world. Since our society is increasingly defined by class more than any other factor, this concept is ever more dangerous and ever more prevalent. Classism is already a terrible thing, but distilling it down to ideological belief systems is downright frightening. So back to our friends at CNN+. The way I see it, CNN Plus is the biggest collection of luxury beliefs collected into one offering that I've seen in some time. So, think about it. Who has the time to watch Stanley Tucci strut his surprisingly non-gay stuff around Italy trying to ty- trying different white type, type, yeah, types of wine and cheese? To watch Don Lemon cook chicken marsala in front of a live studio audience? To have Anderson Cooper and his husband lecture you about parenting advice? To, again, watch Brian Stelter talk about how bad Fox News is every single day? Odds are, probably not a lot of people. Probably exactly 10,000 if you were to take the numbers for what they were. Only the most elite among us, the ultimate Karens and Stefans, could afford such a luxury. There are real people out in the world, all of whom have real problems. It's an insult to them when they're patronized this type of nonsensical nonsense. Which is why luxury beliefs deserve a closer look. And to do this, we will first look at both what luxury beliefs are and why the shift in what we define as quote luxury happened. Next, we will explore why luxury beliefs in our new system of luxury is dangerous. And finally, we will explore how to avoid luxury beliefs and focus our energy on something more constructive to us and those around us. And for fuck's sake, while we're at it, can someone please, for the love of God, institutionalize Brian Stelter? He needs it, trust me. Crazy person, that guy. Crazy, crazy, crazy. Oh, boy. It's early for this, guys. I'm sorry. (laughs) 
The first experience I had with luxury had to do with poor stitching and bad NBA players. When I was in high school in the mid-2010s, the hottest commodity you can flex was a sports jersey. In my northeast Ohio town, sports were everything. It didn't matter that most of the ones that we supported were shitty. What mattered was the feeling that came with watching them. High school sports, college sports, pro sports, and everything in between. It defined most of my formative years, as it did with many others. To have a jersey, that meant you had to have the money to buy a jersey. It meant that you were doing well. It meant that you would show up to places as casual as a friend hangout in his high-class Cleveland Cavaliers game and still fit in. You might even wear them around school to just show how really cool you were. They were the item of ultimate prestige. The dominant showing of post-pubescent peacocking that made you stand out just enough to be seen, but not far enough to where people thought you were trying too hard. It was perfect. But it was also fake. As you may be aware, high school students don't have a lot of money. They most likely cannot afford nice jerseys. So like any good consumers, they flocked to that pain point and bought a shit ton from the one vendor that was providing that good of a competitive price point. AliExpress. AliExpress, for those who are unaware, is an overseas clothing manufacturer owned by the Alibaba Group that sells upscale lifestyle clothing for ridiculously cheap prices. Whoever unearthed that company's existence in America should be given a seat on their board of directors. This is because, after their genie got let out of the bottle, there was no possible way it could get put back in. Once the high school and college students of America were made aware they could attain the modern-day luxury wear of cheap jerseys, sneakers, and whatever else their hearts desired, there was no going back. The market became immediately flooded with cheap money for dogshit products. The initial pop was unbelievable. Every outdoor activity in the summer, every rap concert, every night going out, you'd see LeBron James, Kawhi Leonard, and Kanye West represented in some form or fashion, usually with the stitching coming undone or some girl complaining in pain from the Yeezys castrating their tiny feet. But eventually, it began to wear out. Much like our current economy today, the market soon became drenched in excess. Nothing new was happening or going on. Nothing innovative in the market took place. It became a massive copycat copycat clout chase. Soon, jerseys weren't all the rage anymore. What had once become a luxury had now become a commodity. It didn't stand out anymore. Everyone was wearing the same thing from the same people. After a while, they began to lose interest. The market had lost its pop. Depression was near. This is, in essence, the cycle of luxury. It all follows the same process. Every item in the world, no matter what it is, starts out as luxury. Clean water was once a luxury, as was a fruitful natural environment, as was a non-STD-ridden sex partner in the 80s. The definition for the word luxury is, quote, something desirable but expensive or hard to get. All of these things at one point were hard to get. But when they got them, their lives began to improve dramatically. Luxury has a purpose, to state our wants and needs. But luxury also has declined. As these formerly luxurious items became introduced in our society, as they become available for mass consumption, they get commoditized. They lose their value because they lose their scarcity, the primary thing that provides value to anything, no matter what it is. The jersey scene in high school and college is the epitome of this. Clean drinking water was another. Non-STD-ridden sex partners in the 80s are a third. They all kept snowballing further and further until they hit a cliff which upon hitting, they quickly fall off. Luxury is a fleeting thing. What was luxurious once is generally only luxurious once. You have some things like gold and jewelry and vinyl records that stand the test of time, but generally everything gets uncorked after a while, including vinyl records, actually. 
That's the beauty of capitalism and free markets. What is in demand will soon be supplied, and vice versa. There are generally no bottlenecks for consumers of goods and services to get caught within. This is also why luxury catches on so quickly. It is, quite literally in some cases, a gold rush. People want to automatically seize the thing that's taking the market by storm. We may not know what it is, or what it does, or why any of it matters, but we want that thing. We need it. We crave it. It gives us a sense of chase, of excitement, of thrill. Enter Rob Henderson. Rob Henderson is is a doctoral psychology student at the University of Cambridge who is the founder of the principle of luxury beliefs. Henderson grew up as a poor orphan who was one of few Asians in a predominantly white working class town in California. He later joined the Air Force, studied psychology at Yale, and became fascinated fascinated with sociology, particularly among class systems in America. It was attending these higher institutions of society that Henderson began to notice the the trend of not only financial elitism, but cultural elitism, that ran rampant in the upper echelons of high society. To Henderson's bewilderment, people were saying not only strange things, but untrue things. Things that he knew made little to no sense. But yet, ever curiously, people were saying them. Henderson's Red Pill Moment, which he documented when he revealed his principle to the world in a 2019 article from the New York Post, came when a female classmate of his at Yale said this, quote, Monogamy is kind of outdated. This, understandably, threw Henderson very off guard. Why would someone say such a thing? Henderson grew up in an area that was decimated by non-family turmoil. Many of his friends came from single mothers. Their dads were too strung out on fentanyl to take care of them. Most of those single mothers that he knew were miserable. Of the families that were together, he found most of them to be very happy. The children did better in school and in life. They tolerated one another more. They were able to function properly in a mutualistic coexistence. This, along with other nonsensical beliefs he was hearing from his collegiate peers, continued to puzzle Henderson. But it also did something else. It drove him. In his his estimation, he had stumbled upon a very curious problem. Something wasn't right. 2 plus 2 did not equal 4. Something was missing. Something that he thought, rightly so, mattered deeply when it came to cultural issues like monogamous relationships. After years of looking into the problem and researching it in depth, Henderson finally cracked the code with his piece in the Post. The code he stumbled upon was something he didn't create, but a creed that he had been entered into. Something that he could not shake because it was both enveloping him and warning him. Something that, if left unchecked, could leave millions of the people that would inherit the positions of power in America completely blinded. Luxury Beliefs The definition of luxury beliefs, according to Henderson, is, quote, Ideas and opinions that confer status on the rich at very little cost while taking a toll on the lower class, end quote. To illustrate this point, let's go back to Henderson's first story. Who said this to him? A female student in the psychology department at Yale University. So what does this tell you? Well, for starters, she probably did not come from a place like Henderson. She probably came from a sort of affluent background, went to really good schools, and it really didn't go wanting for much. I'm assuming with this judgment, obviously, but with Henderson's inclusion of her in this piece, one would have reason to think that this conclusion would at least be somewhat accurate for him, her, for him to out her like this. For a person like this, they can afford to have a belief that's as stupid and insular as monogamous relationships being, quote, outdated. She's probably never experienced what life isn't like without one, and what pain it can cause. She can afford to spin this conclusion however she would want to for the simple reason that the belief would not destroy her life should she choose to discard it. She goes to a fancy college. 
she lived a relatively privileged life, all things being equal. Monogamy? Psh, she doesn't need it. It would only hold her back. However, the same cannot be said for those less fortunate. Those are ruling class and expert classes and the mob that enforces their belief always condescend towards and ignore. Monogamous relationships are very important for people who have little means. They're often the only reason people can come together and be constructive. These people need one another. The family is at the core of their lives. They need them to survive. This cannot be a luxury because luxuries are not needed in order to survive. Another question that we should answer. Why are luxury beliefs even a thing? It's a very interesting question because the answer itself is interesting. We talk all the time about how we live in a materialistic society, and this is true. In fact, it's so true that we've shifted to something different. A materialistic mindset. And this is the key thing in our society that has shifted. We've become so affluent, so prestigious, so clout-focused, that our very minds have begun to wrap themselves and warp themselves around certain ideas of luxury and status. Older generations, especially those in the old world, conveyed their status by possessing things. They owned big houses, big cars, big rings, Drake voice, etc. It worked for them, because we really didn't have nearly the wealth nor the access to obtain that wealth we do now. But we do now. The playing fields have largely been leveled. Now everyone can, or at least fake that they can, possess these things. Jerseys are just the tip of the iceberg. Most of the diamonds you see people wear are fake. Most of the designer clothing you see people flex isn't really designer. But no one can tell anymore, because all that matters is the label. Counterfeits are everywhere. There are exceptions, certainly, but there aren't many. So, in order to keep a hold of this mindset of classism, people began to shift their opinions to be luxurious. People started adopting luxury beliefs, beliefs that no one else can afford, to separate themselves and condescend to everyone else in a market that was still rel relatively fresh for disruption. Most people cannot afford to have beliefs like luxury beliefs because not only would it make their lives worse, but it would destroy them entirely. Most people who have to take on these burdens and challenges have real problems. Those who adopt luxury beliefs do not. By increasing their own sense of superiority, our classes and elitist thinkers also raise something else. The danger that those thoughts and beliefs contain. Wealth can go away temporarily. It can also be won back. However, your state of mind and belief systems, i.e. your sense of values, informs everything that you do. Therefore, an adoption of condescension onto a whole group and class of people based on nothing but your and their values automatically widens the divide within those competing groups. And to unpack all the Pandora's box of horribleness, onward we track. It has long been stated, by me, that your values form everything about who you are as a person. What is on the tangible outside is not nearly as relevant as the tangible inside, or the intangible inside, excuse me. When you form your values, when you form your individuality, you begin to, you begin to become able to show the world who you are as a person. You may be perceived a certain way, however just or unjust that turns out to be, but who you truly are is who you consciously choose to be through your individual hier value hierarchy and system. Regardless of what people might tell you, this is how things have always been, how things are now, and how things will always be. Additionally, when a society does things right and empowers individuals to create their own value systems, they indirectly inspire the collective to do so as well. This is an important distinction that we need to point out. 
There are two ways that you can inspire groups to adopt a collective system of values, top-down or bottom-up. The first one is wrong, the second one is right, and let's get into why. Top-down value systems are wrong because they are an institutionalized power that is completely disconnected from individuality that is imposing a value system upon people that they may or may not be receptive to or be beneficial to them. Communism and socialism are both of these things. They collectivize certain parts of a society, or all of a society, and force individuals to foster their values. Democracies and republics are still organized, but they are completely governed by the will of the people, at least in theory. They must be some structured order and, peop and, for, and people to rule those same people, but that system is completely at the whims of the governed, not the government. Bottom-up values, while not correct in any form of absolutes, that's just the mob and we don't like them, are what must control a society. The whims of individual people, not collective groups, are what truly become the voice of a nation, of any group. Those voices can, and should, differ to a degree. However, they must most always be on the same page, mostly, about the stuff that matters. So what does matter? What do we all deem is important? Do we think the system is fair? Does our ruling class represent clearly what we want out of the country, or the group? If the people like the trajectory of a group, no matter how big or what it is, they can voice their opinions and keep the people running the show in power. If not, they can oust them and put new ones in who they feel would do a better job at doing so. This cannot be tainted. This is how it must be. Individual values are the bedrock of any functioning human society. If you taint them, you taint the, hum you taint the human being, their sovereignty, and their behavior. This is tyranny. This is robbery. This can and should be never be tolerated no matter what form it comes in or what, where it comes from. Our freedoms, as we have unfortunately found out in the last few years, are not guaranteed by anyone but our chosen higher power. They must be fought for. They must be defended by all people at all times. Luxury is a massive disruption to bottom-up collective values. Luxury, by design, is meant to alienate you from people. The whole point of luxury, whether it is in the form of luxury materialism or luxury beliefs, is to distinguish you from another group in order to prove status and hierarchy over another person or group. Human beings are hierarchical creatures. It's how we organize ourselves and how we are able to create institutions that promote the best of the best in whatever field that institution is supposed to uphold. The whole purpose of being or having something that is luxurious is to ascend the hierarchy of whatever you value. It is jet fuel, a trampoline, and a rocket ship. It helps you climb quicker and faster. It promotes growth rather than decay or stagnation. People at the top of hierarchies and the commanders of the institutions that are composed of them are automatically more valued than people who are, who are not either of them. This may not be a fair system, but our system was never designed to be fair, in terms of outcome at least. It was designed to force, peop to force people to be better. It was designed to promote individual sovereignty, to incentivize those to cross the strong side of the toughness gap. People pursue luxury in order to distinguish themselves as better than other people. They desire some sort of status among their peers, so they go after the things that will give them the ability to do so. This, on the surface, is not a bad thing at all. We all pursue privilege, the ability to preside over others and ensure command over our lives and influence others. Human beings have done this for the, our entire evolutionary history. We have crafted systems, competed with one another in those systems, and have evolved those systems over time in order to give more people the opportunity to do the same. This has created tremendous creativity, innovation, opportunity, and prosperity, for those who are able to grasp a sense of how the game is played and play it effectively. So, then, why can this be considered a bad thing? The difference is in our previous explanation of the transformation of what human beings have deemed, quote, luxurious. As mentioned, material luxury is now, for the most part, common. 
People can fake just about anything these days, including the clothing that they wear, the food they eat, and the things that they buy. They could be worth a lot, or they could be worth nothing. But with luxury, a lot of things, times that doesn't matter, at least from the outside looking in. Luxury only means and connotes one thing. Optics. If the optics of the quote luxury item that the person is wanting to attain looks the part, that is good enough for most people. It could be empty calories and all sizzle without any steak underneath. But it also could not be. The reality of the situation is that for most of the things most of the time, we just don't have enough information. We don't know any better for better or for worse. It's one thing to do this with luxury goods. It's a completely separate thing to do it with luxury beliefs. When you begin to luxurize things at the cultural level, i.e. at the level of belief and values both individually and collectively, you deliberately harm people. You cannot simply substitute what underlies all human behavior at the individual level for something more trendy and oftentimes cheap without ripping away at the integrity of who that person is as an individual. There are no cheat codes to make a quality human being. There has to be substance there. If there isn't, or if that substance is removed, then it is left in a vacuum with nothing to fill it. But something always does fill it. Nature abhors a vacuum, especially when it comes to a person and their values. Rule number one of Jordan Peterson's new 12 rules is, do not carelessly denigrate social institutions or creative achievement. For this specific case, let's focus on the first item of Peterson's warning. When you denigrate and undermine the social institutions that have made human beings successful for all of those years, you do so at your peril. Human beings do not like uncertainty. We do not like feeling out of place. We do not like feeling that we are out of control. So when this happens, we often cling to whatever is easiest and nearest to be our life preserver. Whenever people begin this, to say things like monogamy is outdated, religion is bad, family doesn't fulfill you, and the continued rejection of those traditional norms never ceases, this has an insidious effect on both individuals and the societies that are composed of them. This is a particularly bad problem when you, to Henderson's continued point, begin to notice the disparities between who in society says these things. When these things are said, they almost always spill off the tongues of the powerful and the wealthy. They can afford to say these things. It is a, wait for it, luxury for them to say these things, because only they are the ones that can go without them. And even then, they are most likely lying to themselves. Study after study shows that, no matter how much people don't like to admit it, people who are in a relationship with one person, follow a religious denomination, and have a family are much happier than those without those things. The denigration of traditional social institutions in favor of a more trendy and luxurious things that most people in the country cannot afford to do is not a good thing. Think of it this way. What do you get out of telling someone that eating red meat is bad for the environment? Or when you're a white person who calls other people, but conveniently not yourself, out for white privilege? Or tell people that there is, quote, work to be done when you have not done a shred of that non-existent work yourself? Well, a sense of moral superiority, of course. The reason that people do this is that, even if they don't realize it, they want to attack another person or group's value system. They believe theirs is better, or at least want to spare theirs, so they feel the need to dramatically and forcefully assert their dominance at the top of the value hierarchy. They want to destroy the opposition because they know they're speaking in lies. They know they cannot defend themselves. The proof is in the anecdotes and in the data. So to avoid confrontation over their luxury beliefs, they have to censor and destroy anyone who opposes them. This is a reflection of not only their shallowness, but their deep and recently exposed unhappiness with their own lives. Happy people do not do these things. They simply live and are happy. It is a choice. You either do or you don't. 
You, as someone who is hopefully paying attention to this madness, would be wise to realize this. Happy people do not decry their own privilege, but pay no price for it. They do not slam meritocracy while working their asses off on their own jobs. They do not say that good individual decision-making doesn't matter while rightfully living high off their own good individual decision-making. What this does, why luxury beliefs are so dangerous at the core, is teaches people to undermine the institutions of a democratic society. As mentioned before, it is inherently undemocratic, and in some cases downright authoritarian, to do these types of things and engage in these type of behaviors. It doesn't make any sense to undermine what has worked for thousands of years and for billions of people to run an untested sample of data that has proven time and time again to be misleading at best and quite apocalyptic at worst. If this is a normal science experiment, the scientist running it would have thrown out the window, thrown out the window while simultaneously locking you up in a mental hospital. What this results in is a slow dissolution of the previous social order at the individual level. Whether we see it or not, and you most likely won't until it's hitting you in the face, is a massive social upheaval. When your value systems become upended by something that cannot support something as precious and valuable as the direction of a human life, bad things begin to happen. Your life begins to deteriorate around you. You begin to hurt those that truly give a shit about you. You might end up pissing out crack with a homeless person in the middle of downtown Portland for all you know. And depending on what the reality actually constitutes, that might actually be a blessing. The danger of luxury beliefs is a diminishing of and discarding of traditional and stable individual values that comprise a thriving culture. This, however, does not mean that we should go back to living in the Stone Age. This does not mean that we should diminish opportunity for anyone or any group that was previously left without access to it. That would be no different than the authoritarian metrics that have been taken by people who espouse luxury beliefs. It's just a dictatorship of individual sovereignty wrapped up in a bow. It's no different just because it looks different. In fact, it's more dangerous because less people will see it coming. But thankfully, luxury beliefs, like the rest of our belief and value systems, are firmly within our control much more than we realize. All you need, shameless plug for value economics, the study of identity coming out in nine days on Tuesday, June 28th, 2022. It's a better value system of values that can be better tested and refined over time as you evolve and grow within that system. Since values define your life and that life is full of change, it does not make any sense to not bake some flexibility into the cake, even though the cake itself must stay the, the same. The key to living a happier life, a more valuable life, is, in a lot of ways, finding ways to purge that value system of any and all luxury beliefs that can both destroy you and society. Now that we've taken on the what and the why, we now move to the how. Luxury in general, and especially luxury that affects our belief system, is something we need to be aware of at all times. It can sneak up upon us and corrupt us, our thinking, and most importantly, our values. While luxury is nice in some instances, it can also be an excuse for us to turn to with authoritarian tendencies towards those who think differently and want different things out of life than we do. Jeez, excuse me. We should not, and cannot, let this happen. But we can and should focus on other things, and our values would be a good start. But values, as we covered before, aren't the sexiest things in the world. That's why we get so distracted by luxury in all of its different forms. Luxury is an escape hatch, a way out of what we perceive as the mundane and boring of our everyday lives and activities. But values are supposed to be like that. They're not supposed to be sexy. They're supposed to be borderline boring. 
remember, this is what anchoring your life and you're anchoring your life and identity on. If your life and identity gets too far out there, you're going to have a very difficult time pulling things back into the center. Instead, you should attempt to bolster luxury with a shit ton of value underneath it because without a shit ton of that shit ton of value, luxury will mean next to nothing. First, we must realize that luxury beliefs are just that. Luxuries. They are nice to have, but they are in no way essential for living a good and productive life. You can go a long time without drinking pop and eating candy. You won't make it very far without drinking water and eating vegetables. The essentials must always come first. You must make an effort to organize your life around the principle of attaining a balance that suits that. This must be done for two reasons. First, to avoid starving to death. You cannot live off a sugar high forever. Nice cars and ebullient thoughts aren't nice to have one, are nice to have once in a while. I would argue that they're necessary, but they're far from something you need to have constantly. They're far too volatile and far too unstable for you to base your trajectory of your life off of. These things that fluctuate and change with crazy consistency. If anything is constant, it is that. So, you may ask, what can and should sustain you? And the answer? Something greater. Something that can be more broadly applied across your life to help you avoid choking on the excess of luxury. To use another one of my shitty analogies about houses, a house with a strong foundation cannot stand on its own, because nothing can. You need to buffer and support it in as many effective ways as possible to make it elevate and aspire to do more. The second reason for doing this is because, after a while, even the most luxurious things start to turn to shit. You can only eat so many pieces of chocolate cake before it starts to taste like garbage. This is diminishing returns of value, or DRV, in full action. Spoiler alert, or not, depending on how long you followed my blog. You can only get something that sustains you for so long that it's a luxury item. Eventually, like the rest of them, they will burn out and turn stale. So what you need to do is find something that does sustain you. Values do that. Luxury beliefs do not. They are condescending. They discard many people's legitimate way of going about their lives and make them out to look either out of the loop or dumb, of which they probably are neither. Just because people think differently from you and value different things that you can than you does not mean that you get to treat them like lesser individuals. That just makes you a shitty person. But it doesn't have to make you a shitty person, because luxury beliefs can easily be debunked should we choose to look at them head on. The reality of luxury beliefs, put in that simple fashion, is this. Most of them are stupid and counterintuitive. This is quite easy to observe if you look at what luxury beliefs actually are saying. They sound dumb. They don't make sense. The person who came up with them probably wasn't all that intelligent. There is a smell test that goes on with all of these things. If it too, sounds too good and too dumb to be true, it probably is. You don't need to look much further than that. Think about it. Does a Yale Law student really believe that hard work doesn't matter? Does a woke white person who shouts into the void on Twitter all day really think that they're privileged? Does a woman really believe that sleeping around with multiple men in multiple committed relationships is better than setting do settling down with one stable one or being by herself? Of course not. None of these people believe these things. They do not believe hardly anything that comes out of their own mouths. It's a shame that they lie to us, but they, to do so to themselves is even more heinous. But you realize if you look at luxury beliefs that they're almost too stupid to comprehend. It ain't that deep. You don't need to look at these things in order to become a fully actualized person or whatever these people think they're accomplishing by doing these. These people are attention whores and clout chasers. They don't really want these things. They just want what those things can get them. They believe nothing worth believing, or else they would care about something that is far more important than those who they say they care about. But if they're nothing else, they're persistent. So for our final trick, you can pull out something to actually stymie them in their tracks. 
actually see if what they're saying has any merit. See if the shit that they're spewing actually works. Go around believing it for a while. See how much it probably doesn't improve your life. See that, in fact, it will, most likely, make it much worse. See how it drags you down into the mire. See how it takes everything you care for along with it. Create an avenue for yourself to go down deep into the shit with everything else that a lot of other people like this preach. But then, do yourself a favor and do the exact opposite. Play the opposite game. Purge those thoughts from your head. All of them. Think of their exact opposites. Odds are, when you do this, you'll end up fearing much more powerful over your own life and feeling much more dominion over how you actually can go about making it better. It feels incredibly good to know that, ultimately, you have control and agency about where you go and how you spend your time. What you believe dictates much of the direction of your whole life. What you choose to focus your energy on creates the momentum for you to move towards it. Luxury is a uniquely wonderful thing, but it is also a uniquely euphoric distraction. Luxury in all its embodiments cannot be based upon because nothing luxurious can stay luxurious. Luxury beliefs, the mindset of intellectual classism, is the most dangerous form of luxury that exists. When you mentally disenfranchise someone because they cannot come to your level of thinking, you immediately adopt a mindset of authoritarian censorship. In a democratic and free-thinking society, this is the poison pill that causes slow-moving but rapid-approaching death. Kind of like piss and crack, if that's even possible, and maybe we should ask the above picture of Dr. Drew and Rob Henderson if that's the case. Okay, guys, that was, uh, that was fun. That was awesome. I think that was, um, that was good. That was good. So that was, uh, that's my post this week. That's kind of a intro to the intro of the nine day countdown to value economics study of identity coming out June 28th, or that's Tuesday, Tuesday, June 28th, 2022. So thank you guys so much for listening. As always, I will be back. I actually recorded the next week's podcast earlier in this week. So I will not see you guys again until uh, live recording this until the book has been released. So that's hard to believe. But, you know, just again, guys, thank you so, 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 so much for just, you know, all the support, all the outpouring that you guys have shown over the last couple of weeks. It's really, truly meant a lot to me and meant a lot to the people that have worked hard with me to create this book and everything else. So the link will be sent out soon. Pre-order. Get it ready. It's going to come. It's going to be awesome, I think. It's going to be great. So until then, own the day. Open your mind. Thanks for listening, guys. I'll talk to you next week. Stopping, hopping like a rabbit When I take the Nina Ross, you know I got to have it I lay back in the cut, retain myself Think about the shit and I think it well How can I mix my grip? And how should I make that nigga straight?